Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Uh, Tom Dorian? Yes, sir. You're sitting in the luxurious corner booth as well? I'm here. I'm so glad to be here with you, and I see we have a wonderful guest today. Right, we do. Uh, we we have the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal with us again. What a treat. It's an awesome treat. Uh, what a blessing to have them here. And we've got Father James from that Franciscan Friars of the Renewal Order. And Father James, welcome to the luxurious corner booth. Thanks, Deacon. Very nice to be here. Well, you know what we want to do is we probably want to start. I think we're going to talk a little, uh, well, let's call it history, but I want to say history because, you know, Father, we have a lot of people that listen and they're driving right now. And what I don't want to do is get them into this boring history lesson and they start swerving and driving off the road, right? We, <laughs> we exactly. Want to, so if it starts to get boring, I'm going to give you a, a secret sign or something you can't see on the radio that says, that's too boring, Father. Let's keep moving. That's and, right. <laughs> and I'll give you a secret sign back again. <laughs> oh, thank you, Father. A, a blessing. I'm sure you're going to give me a definitely, blessing. <laughs> definitely. Well, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about, well, your order, but kind of want to focus in a little bit to start with on St. Francis. Right. right. And a lot of people know St. Francis from some of the stories of St. Francis. And some people kind of know him to be perhaps an eccentric, you know, in the town. People thought maybe he was a little strange or a little off. And there's a lot of things about St. Francis that a lot of people kind of know. But we'd love to talk to you about how your order just sort of patterns themselves after St. Francis or his, his life. And so let's start by talking maybe about where the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal come from in general. Where does, how did you all get started? Well, the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal was started in 1987 uh, by eight Capuchin Friars, Capuchin Franciscans, a branch of the Franciscan community. Now, you just said Capuchin. And now, we have Cappuccino here in the Catholic Cafe, but yes. I don't think it's the same thing. What are the Capuchin Friars? The Capuchins are, um, we were founded in the 1500s, and it was a reform of the Franciscans. Right. Uh, to live a stricter interpretation of the rule of St. Francis. So they were more aromatical, and uh, they worked a lot with people, in uh, plague victims. Uh, so a very strict reform, wearing beards, right. uh, and very strict on poverty, chastity, and obedience. And that's where the Capuchin started. And then they founded uh, our community in um, 1987. Eight of them left the Capuchin provinces that they were in, two provinces, for a renewal, personal renewal right. uh, of the community. So we live the Franciscan rule of life based on the Capuchin identity, so a Capuchin um, flavor to it, if you will. Right, and now you're, you're known as the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, and so people always want to ask that question, what exactly are you renewing? What is the renewal part of that mean? Well, hopefully we're renewing ourselves. You know, because renewal has to begin with oneself, conversion with oneself. Um, and then, you know, what we hope to do is renew the church. So there's a lot of renewal going on in the church. You know, the church is coming more alive. Since the Second Vatican Council, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church. The charismatic renewal was very big, uh, let's say, 20 years ago. Now, although the charismatic renewal is still very big, some of the good news is it's actually became, become mainstreamed 
right. into the church. So you can see the whole church is being renewed. And in our community, uh, part of our charism uh, is new evangelization after Pope John Paul II, calling for new evangelization. So one of the reasons we're in Memphis to do a um, parish mission. Uh, We go all around the country doing parish missions, doing Youth 2000 retreats. Um, So generally preaching the gospel, you know, at the grassroots level. Well, let's talk about this relationship that, that your order specifically has with St. Francis. And what, what is it about St. Francis that maybe that would be the ideal or the, you're saying living by the, the, the rule of St. Francis? Well, in the beginning of the program, you mentioned uh, a lot of people thought that St. Francis was strange or um, unusual. Right. Uh, that would definitely be part of our charism. Anybody that meets us <laughs> would think we were strange or unusual. I mean, you know, when you Put see in us. in a good way, Father. Right. When you, when you see us walking around at an airport in a long gray habit with beards and all, everybody starts looking around. Um, the, the, the one of the Star Wars convention is in town. Exactly. Right. And people have stopped us thinking that we were in some type of medieval uh, play wow. or, or whatever. Really? Um, wow. But St. Francis's rule of life. It's very short. It's 12 chapters, but um, they're very short chapters. You know, a lot of people may not recognize that, that phrase, rule of life. Right? We hear of the rule of St. Benedict, the rule of St. Francis. What, what exactly does that mean, the rule? What is that? St. Francis, as a young man, had a conversion. He lived uh, not, I don't think, a terribly sinful life, but certainly uh, not a very pious one. And uh, after becoming sick... You know, becoming ill, uh, having gone to war, he came back, and as he was recuperating, uh, he visited this church of San Damiano, and he heard the words of the Lord, you know, Francis, go and rebuild my church. And being a simple man, he thought that the Lord meant rebuild San Damiano. Hammers and nails and wood. So he went out getting, actually, bricks and begging bricks, you know, to rebuild San Damiano. And then he built another, rebuilt another church and then got the message from the Lord. All of a sudden, when people saw him doing this, the men of the village, the men of the town of Assisi, all start, started to join him. So they joined Francis. And at that point, see, when he was by himself, he'd pray and listen to the Lord and do whatever he felt the Lord was inspiring him to do. But now we had these followers, and he had to write down something for them. Right. You know, to get it approved by the church to be sure that everything was okay with the way they were living. And so he sat down and he wrote out a rule of life based on what he wanted the Lord, uh, what he believed the Lord wanted us to live, the way right. he wanted us to live. And so really that's just a, sort of a, a writing out of the way of life. Of the way of life. So it's almost as if you could have had somebody else almost do it, sit down and just see the way he lived, right. and then write about it. But he said that he didn't write the rule. He, of, he always said that, you know, the Lord gave me these words. This is what the Lord wants us to do. Right. And so that rule is observed by all Franciscans throughout the world. There are different interpretations, some strict or some less strict. Right. So, for instance, in our community, uh, we wear the, the habit all of the time. So we wear it traveling. Uh, we wear it everywhere. You know, we don't wear secular clothing. Uh, in other Franciscan groups, um, they wear it in their community. Right. They wear it in the church, they, but they don't wear it all the time on the street. We wear it in the street. It's, it's our regular clothing. Um, we uh, live a very strict life of poverty, so we depend on 
the poor, we depend on divine providence, even serving the poor. So we go out begging, even coming here, for instance, to do a parish mission. You know, people say, well, gee, how can you travel on planes and, and everywhere and go around the country evangelizing? Well, we don't have any money. Right. So people have to pay. They don't give us the money, but they transport us here, and they take care of us here, and then we go back. they send us back home again. Hmm. So That's that vow of poverty that you're living out. Absolutely. Now, so you were saying earlier that um, agreeing that maybe that some people thought that St. Francis was a little little nuts, right. a little eccentric, but he was just living out his rule. And um, I had the privilege of, of visiting uh, his church there in Assisi, uh, and it was wonderful. And I remember going down and seeing uh, his cell where he lived, and it's like straw on the floor. That was the bed. That was it. Very, very meager living conditions. And in the early Capuchins, that's the way they lived. So they would have in their cell which would be the word we use for a room, a cell, right. they would have uh, a straw mattress. Now we have ordinary mattresses, but most of the friars sleep on a simple mattress on the floor. Uh, some of them do not use a mattress. They just sleep on a mat on the floor with a sleeping bag. You know, So that would be something which goes back to the early Capuchin reform. Right. Now, a lot of people might criticize and think, well, why do you have to do all that? I mean, there's no, there's no reason to do that. Now, I know that there is, right? Because I know that when, when you internalize some of that, it also is reflected externally, right? And what people see, you say you go to, to airports and people see you in that gray habit, and immediately you know, their eyes light up. I, I know that when you've been at some of the schools that you visited just on your visit – you know, the kids are just attracted. They, they, they come instantly. They see that. They're just attracted to that humility in an, uh, a way that they maybe don't even understand. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because people think our life is very difficult. But actually, it's not that difficult. It's no more difficult than any other life. And it's actually easier than many lives, especially when you feel called to it by the Lord. So as I mentioned to you, you know, uh, when we were talking once before, um, I was a Capuchin for a number of years and then became a diocesan priest and now have come back to religious life. Now, when I became a Capuchin, I was 18 and I took a vow of poverty. Well, back in the 60s, when you were 18, I took a vow of poverty. I, had, I didn't have any money. So when I took the vow of poverty, I didn't really give up anything. You know, I came from a family, a poor family. I actually got more by joining the community than giving it up. I got my own room, you know, and so it was... Uh, really wasn't that difficult. Now, coming back, I had to get rid of all of the money. I had to give away everything. I had my car. I had to give the car away. And so now I don't have anything. But, but I have in, everything. I was going to say, let's key in on that idea that it's not any harder than any other life because there's a joy. I, I, I will say this in, in having met several of the friars. There's a joy there. And you, and you look at somebody and you think, well, this person doesn't sit and watch four or five hours of TV a day. They don't spend all the time on the computer. They're not worried so much about possessions and all these different shirts and ties and pants and, and what kind of shoes they're wearing, etc. But there's a joy. There's a, there's a fullness. And I think people are attracted to that when they see it. When you have a lot of things, St. Francis used to say, you're tied down by things. When you don't have things, you're not tied down. You, we can move if we get a transfer. If we're told, you know, tomorrow you're to be moved to New Jersey, you're to be moved someplace else. You don't have a lot to pack. 
I mean, you can be gone right away. You don't have to call moving vans, everything. You can be gone. When we come down here, when we come travel around the country doing preaching, preaching missions and all, uh, we take a carry-on bag. That's plenty. So you never worry. And there is a real joy to it. I can't tell you how happy I am. Uh, for those that, you know, uh, don't know me, I'm 65 years of age. You, know, and you don't look a day over 30. Right. <laughs> I've had a hard life. But, but you know, so at this, at this age of my life, I'm really delighted that I've had the opportunity once again to live out these vows. And I don't really feel that I've given up anything. And I tell the younger brothers, you know what? Never think about what we've given up, but look at what God has given us. So we really haven't given up that much. God has given us everything. So the little bit of stuff that I gave up is nothing by comparison to what God gives me every day. And I know he's going to keep on giving it to me. Graces, blessings, joy, uh, being able to be among the people, being able to help people. Uh, that's so much more than having a Jeep. You know, I don't miss my Jeep. I don't miss right. my cell phone. I just don't miss them. You know, I've got people in my life that I can help. And also people who, in coming to me, help me to see the Lord in them. And then I can get to know Christ through them, just as much as they can get to know Christ through me. That sounds like true joy. That true sounds joy. true joy, and that's wonderful. Now we are going to take a break for a moment. We're going to come back, and we're going to find out. We're going to ask Father James if there are actually any whiny monks, you know. <laughs> uh, who, who, but I think I, I think I know the answer I'll think already. About that one. <laughs> exactly. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website: www.thecatholiccafe.com. And then also, love you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Little is known about Pope St. Clement I. It is generally agreed that he was the third successor to Peter as Bishop of Rome, perhaps ordained by Peter himself. He was martyred in the early 2nd century. A 4th century Greek document called the Acts of the Martyrs, while not authenticated, does give us some more possible details surrounding his martyrdom. It tells the story of St. Clement being exiled to work in the salt mines of what is now modern-day Crimea by Emperor Trajan after serving as Pope in the fledgling but growing early church. He had such a pronounced and holy effect on the other prisoners with whom he worked that he was eventually condemned to death. An anchor was tied around his neck and he was cast into the sea. But like many saints, the story didn't end there. It is said that the sea rolled back for a mile to reveal the saint's body at rest on a beautiful shrine made of marble. Regardless of the authenticity of the story details, what cannot be disputed is St. Clement's impact on the modern church by the preservation of his well-known letter to the Church of Corinth around 80 AD, just 50 years after the Passion of Christ. In fact, it was written while the Apostle John was still alive. The epistle, which scholars agree is authentic, rebukes the Corinthian church for his disunity and factious behavior and then proceeds to outline the importance of respecting the authority and hierarchy of the church. In this letter, he said, Shameful, beloved, extremely shameful, and unworthy of your training in Christ is the report that on account of one or two persons, the well-established and ancient church of the Corinthians is in revolt against the presbyters. He went on to enjoin them, 
You therefore who laid the foundation of the rebellion, submit to the presbyters and be chastened to repentance, bending your knee in the spirit of humility. St. Clement's first letter to the Corinthians offers modern scholars a rare view of the structure and organization of the early church, and it is also a very early example of the Pope acting on his authority to intervene in the activities of a local church. Because of the stories about his martyrdom, Pope St. Clement is the patron saint of mariners and is usually pictured with an anchor at his side. His feast day is November 23rd. I'm Bess Trzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. We're still here. Tom, we haven't gone anywhere, have we? No, we're still here. Wonderful. Sitting now, on the uh, edge of our seat. That's right. You're getting ready to uh, tell me that you're going to give me all your stuff. Because I Father, can't wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeking I'm that coming kind over of to your joy. house. I'm coming over to your house this afternoon. We're going to trust me. You can, you can have it. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we're here with one of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. We're here with Father James. And Father, we were just talking about the fact that we have all these joyous monks, right? And because they fill themselves with the Lord, you know, it's so hard to uh, fill yourself with God if you're filled with other stuff, right? And so exactly. you've talked about that from from the Friars, how you guys do that. But the folks listening at home are saying, well, you know what? Deacon Jeff, I'm not really called to a vow of poverty. I don't live in community. I don't have everything taken care of. I got. I live in a house. I got a mortgage. I got a car. You know, and then that kind of builds up. And how do people experience that sense of poverty or detachment? How do they do that in their everyday lives? Well, I think uh, again, it's a sense of detachment. Uh, one of the funny things that happens to me has happened to me many times is uh, I'll be walking down the street and somebody will say hello. And I'll say, hi, how are you? And they don't even look at me. And then I realize that they're talking into a cell phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought they were talking to me. You know, you're online with somebody in a supermarket. We don't usually go to supermarkets to buy things, but we do go and beg milk and stuff. And you might be online, and you hear, somebody starts talking behind you. You think they're talking to you. So you walk around, and everybody seems to have cell phones attached to their ears. Mm-hmm. And you've even seen people in restaurants Two people having a meal together, they're both on cell phones. Right. You wonder, are they talking to each other by cell phone or are they talking to other people? <laughs> well, like, and I know? was also just in a restaurant just about two weeks ago, and Dad was on the phone. Mom was doing something, but the, like the two kids, each of them had some kind of little electronic device. So here's a family dinner, and no one's talking to anybody. Exactly. And, and, and the thing is, you know, when you talk about detachment, well, you know, if people get detached from technical things, they I mean, talk about being attached. I mean, it's almost like a stone onto your ear. Right. So if you turn the cell phones off and just listen to the person that you're with, or turn the cell phones off for an hour or two and just be present to God, be present to the world around you, and see all the beauty that God has given us. Uh, I think of a story. This is a, when I was a hospital chaplain as a young priest. And uh, there was this young girl in the hospital. She was about 13, and she was dying with leukemia. And it was around Christmas time. And uh, I noticed that in her room, all over the room, there were these uh, decorations that were made by children in her class that they sent to her. All these, you know, uh, Christmas balls and all decorations all hanging. And and I thought it's strange the hospital is allowing all of this clutter because if they have to get into the room quickly, they can't. As I got closer and closer to Christmas, I noticed things were disappearing. 
And I'm thinking, that's funny. They must be all of a sudden cracking down on this. And then on Christmas Eve, before I went home, I went into the room. Her name was Susie. And she wanted communion every day. Every day, 13 years old. And she said, Father, if I can't receive communion because of the treatments I'm getting, my mouth is too sore, come and give me a blessing. So when I went in on Christmas Eve to see her, I know uh, she called me over and she said, Father, she said, see that ornament over there in the corner? I want you to have that. That's my gift to you for all that you've done for me. Amen. Wow. And that's when I began to realize what this young child that was dying was doing. These things that people gave her, she was giving away to others. God gives us so much. What do we give to other people? Do we spend time with other people? Do we spend time uh, caring for other people? Or are we just so preoccupied with things that we forget about the people? And that's why I think detachment is so important in families and in the world. Because God has given us a beautiful world. And as, as wonderful as technology is, and as many good things that we can do with technology. Well, the Holy Father has just come out recently. The last World Days of Communications, in the last three years, he's written specifically about the importance of using this in the new evangelization, of, of, of evangelizing with digital media. So there is... A very good use for it. Right. But unfortunately, a lot of people become so attached to things like that, that, for instance, television. People are watching television all the time. We don't have televisions in the friaries. And the reason we don't have television is not because of poverty. And although there's lots of uh, junk on television, we don't have, not have it because of that. But we have it because it would take away from our community life. You know, you right. might spend too much time watching the television and not being attentive to your brothers. So this whole idea of being detached from things in the world. Um, I, I, I joked the other night at the mission where when I was a kid, if you did something wrong, you'd get sent to your room. I said, now if a kid does something wrong, there's no point in sending him to their room because they have their own right. television, their own telephone, their own uh, internet. <laughs> yeah, the kid would I mean, say, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. I appreciate that. You can't get them out of their room. Right. And, and, and uh, for all the young people that might be listening, you know, I just really advise you, you know, the Lord really loves you, and he really wants to speak to your hearts. And, you know, so in order to do that, you have to try and sort of like put aside the things of the world. And, and pay more attention to that still small voice that's within because it's being drowned out by all of that's going on around us. All the noise. You know, even you said for the young people, but even for adults, I just made a silent retreat, never made one, and it took me a good 24 hours just to get that noise in my head to die down uh, because of all, what you were talking about. Yes, yes. It's, yeah, so it's, even adults. It's an important thing. And also... You know, the people were making an argument years ago for wearing uniforms in public schools because they were saying that kids were competing so much about, right. you know, that the poor kids didn't have the nicest clothes and all. And, uh, you know, when you stop and think about it, we get so preoccupied with things. Uh, wearing a hat, I'm, I'm not suggesting that everybody out in the audience wear a habit. You know, but can they order but those online? If they <laughs> they, can't, they have to go back in time. You need a space machine. But you know, the reality is, your clothes, the things that you wear, are not what's important. It's you that's important, and and that's why, you know, the, the color of your hair, the length of your hair. Now, naturally, there's this codes and you know, a, a, a proper dress and all, and even in in the way people should dress and going to church. But the Lord loves each and every one of us. And it's not about the things that we have. 
And it's not about the things that we do, but it's about the relationship we have with him and just giving ourselves totally to him. Susie, at 13, knew that right. mm-hmm. and taught me, a young priest, what it was, what it was all about, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I guess it's important also to, to point out, especially to our listeners who are probably sitting listening on a radio or in a car or whatever, that, that you're not suggesting that everybody in the world just drop every physical thing that, that is a thing and, and say and say no to that, but, but, to, but to integrate that sense of poverty into their lives, that sense of detachment, especially at, at specific times. And one of the beautiful times that we do it in the church is during Lent. When it's a time to stop and reflect and go into the desert, as it were, spiritually, but maybe also physically when we give things up, when we, when we cut down on certain things, when, when we as a church fast on our fast days, but also days of abstinence where we, we say, we're going to push this stuff away now so that as we empty ourselves that God could then fill us. Exactly. And because when we do that, we change all of our focus. So as Tom was just saying before, when you go on a silent retreat, all of a sudden now... What do I do? You know, I don't have my cell phone. I don't have this. I don't have that. You know, the meals are very simple. You know, what do I do? We begin to think. Right. We begin to think more. And as we begin to think more, we begin to reflect more and reflect more on our lives and, you know, what God might be calling us to do with our lives. So we have that time is created, you know, when when we detach from things and when we spend this time in silence or in even, you know, you give up, for instance, candy for Lent. Right. Or you don't eat between meals for Lent. And maybe after a while, that might be difficult, but then you might be watching a television show, and you might see in an infomercial, you might see a child in Africa with a bloated stomach. Right. That's, that's starving to death. And here you are, just making that small sacrifice. So now all of a sudden, we begin to realize you know, that we have so much and other people have so little and that changes the way that we live because now our focus has changed. And the next time, you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, gee, I'm starving to death. We don't say that so much anymore, you know, because we begin to realize we're not starving to death. Right. Because we have more than we need. What are we going to do for those that don't have even the basic things they need? Well, Father James, thank you so much for spending some time with us, uh, helping us to uh, better understand that your vow of poverty, but how we can also take some of the rules of uh, St. Francis, right, and, and integrate them into our lives. And we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. You're welcome, Deacon. Thanks very much. I thought we'd close in prayer. And, and what we'll do is we'll use the, uh, the collect or the prayer that we'd use on the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. Very good. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father... You helped St. Francis to reflect the image of Christ through a life of poverty and humility. May we follow your son by walking in the footsteps of Francis of Assisi and by imitating his joyful love. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.